Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. We're not happy with, with the outcome. We have to play better. We've got to coach better. But I'm proud of the way our guys competed, and there's going to be good days for this football team. Um, but they've got to recognize, and, and our coaches have to recognize, we've got to put them in good positions, and we've got to play with a, a sense of urgency. We saw when we played with a sense of urgency, we came up with big stops, and we, we answered every score. And I think the tempo of the offense improved. Players look comfortable out there. We ran the ball, you know, in, in tough areas when we needed to. That's good football, and we didn't have enough of that. The LSU, the LSU Tigers, Tigers did not have, have enough, enough of that. Did not have enough good football Sunday night inside the Caesars Superdome as they fall 24 to 23 to the Florida State Seminoles. It was a rough go of it, for sure. It was a game of missed opportunities. It was, it was a game, a game of, of not, not executing properly. It was a game of Jaden Daniels running for his life. It was a game of the middle of the defense being a little soft. It was a game of special teams not playing well. Yet, in spite of the offensive line, in spite of the middle of the defense, in spite of all of that, they still nearly had a chance to win the game, or at least – Force overtime, but they didn't as they fall for the third consecutive year in the season opener. The LSU Tigers open up the season with an L. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company, the special Labor Day edition of the show. I am broadcasting live from the hotel room. That's right. Didn't get out of the... Caesar Superdome until well after midnight last night, following the completion of the All-State Louisiana kickoff, the first of its kind, between the LSU Tigers and Florida State Seminoles. We've got a tremendous show lined up for you today. We'll be breaking down, of course, the LSU Tigers. We'll be breaking down, of course, UL, who had a, at times, sloppy, but still, victory to extend their winning streak. They're the nation's longest active winning streak, if you will. We'll talk about the Mignese Cowboys as well, opening up the season with still work to be done, if you will, by playing Montana State. We'll also talk some Saints, some Astros, some Major League Baseball with you on this special Labor Day edition of the show. Appreciate you being here with us. We have three guests lined up for you today. 7.30, Jeff Palermo, our friend from the Louisiana Radio Network and co-host of Tiger Rag Radio, will dissect everything that went wrong for the Tigers in this one. Then at 8 o'clock, I've got a special treat for you. 
author, that's right, William Cachatis, author of this book right here that I hold in my hand. Lefty and Tim, how Steve Carlton and Tim McCarver became baseball's best battery. He'll be joining us at straight up 8 o'clock, a little baseball talk in this morning. And then at 8.30, Logan Grafia, our buddy. That's right, the podcaster, the TV radio personality out of New Orleans will join us for the Big Easy Blitz as it's, well, it's time for hate week for the Atlanta Falcons. So those are our three guests, of course. I want to hear from you. Phone calls are welcomed. You know the number, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. But we're going to start with LSU. Let's see where to begin. They had 50 yards passing in the third quarter. The reason why that was is because Jaden Daniels didn't have time to go through his progressions because he was running for his life. The big question mark we had about this team all summer long, we talked about it on this show over and over and over again. Is the offensive line fixed? Is the offensive line fixed? Is the offensive line fixed? The answer you're looking for, it is not. It just isn't. Jane Daniels had to run for his life the entire game. The entire game. And it wasn't the left side of the line either. That's where we're going to start. Let's start the off with the offensive line. It wasn't the O-line. It wasn't the left side of the O-line. Will Campbell, the freshman out of Neville, he held his own in his first career collegiate game, lining up at left tackle. Miles Frazier wasn't too bad either at left guard. Had some moments late that you don't want, but left tackle, left guard, eh, okay. Mediocre, if you will. But the right side of the line, woof, woof, woof. You expect better from Anthony Bradford, who's been with this program for more than a few years. You expect better from Cam Wire, who is a senior and has been with this program for years. They were dreadful. Dreadful. They weren't good. They were getting beat by a mediocre pass rush by Florida State. Daniels would snap the ball, and boom, there's a guy. He was sacked four times in this ballgame was pressured probably double digits at least 10, 11 times. At least. Constantly. Not having a time to go through his progressions. Can he throw it to Jenkins? Can he throw it to Butte? Can he throw it to Jack Bash? Can he throw it to Malik Neighbors? Thomas. He didn't have time for that. Offensive line. That offensive line also led to the fact that they could not run the football. They could not run the football. The only way they were able to run in last night's game inside the Caesar Superdome is when their quarterback busted out and escaped for his life on a run play. That's it. That's it. They had 348 total yards. Most of that came in the fourth quarter. As I said, they only had 50 passing yards in the third quarter. They had one passing yard, I do believe, in the first half. Not optimal. 
as I tweeted out. They got a lot of that in the fourth quarter where they mounted the comeback and they showed a lot of heart and a lot of grit, and Daniels led them on touchdown drives. And they got something working there a little bit. But for the rest of the game, they didn't. They couldn't run the football. They couldn't pass protect. Offensive line played awful. We got to talk about the wide receivers. And we got to talk about Keishawn Butte. I'm not going to speculate why he decided to delete all mention of LSU from his Instagram and his social media. I, I, I don't know, nor do I care. What I do know is that a guy that was called out by his head coach during the summer about being committed to the program, a guy coming off injury, a guy coming off an offseason where he flirted openly with entering the transfer portal to go to another team, to go to a division rival in Alabama, did not have a good game. In the first half, the touchdown on the very first drive of the game, they benefit for the Florida State kicker kicking the ball out of bounds, 15-yard penalty. Then Daniels has a spectacular run. Then they get called, Florida State does, for another 15-yard penalty. 30 yards right there, gifted to them by Florida State. Daniels takes a shot. Butte looks like he's going to catch it. He doesn't. Florida State defender celebrated as if he made a play. He didn't. Butte just didn't hold on to the ball. Then Butte had a ball thrown behind him a little bit. He missed that. And then what could have been another touchdown in the first half, because remember LSU did not score one in the first half. Butte didn't even turn around. He wasn't on the same page with his quarterback. He's the All-American. He's the veteran wide receiver. He's the guy that's the star. Did not seem like he and his quarterback were on the same page. So offensive line of mess, can't run the football, can't pass protect. Middle of the defense was a little soft. We talked about this. I said linebacker could be a strength. They weren't last night, not early on, not at least for the first three quarters. They just weren't. Florida State kept attacking the middle of the field from hash mark to hash mark on slanting routes. That's what the quarterback was able to do for FSU. He waited. One, two, three. Boom. Guy catches over the middle, runs for another three or four yards, first down. They were stuck in third and six, third and seven, and they picked those up easily because they attacked the middle of LSU's defense. The secondary was okay. The secondary was actually what I expected it to be because of so many new faces, right? Because you had Colby Richardson in there from McNeese. You had uh, 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 Makai from UL playing. You, you had Sage Ryan finally healthy, the former LCA star, playing. He actually made a play in the end zone that saved a touchdown in this game. But the, the middle was soft. And Florida State attacked it. And the other big takeaway is that Florida State outcoached LSU. They just did. They seemed like the team that was a little bit more desperate. You could kind of feel it in the air, if you will. Being in the press box, the Florida State fans had taken, had taken over New Orleans. They were loud inside the dome. The LSU home crowd was very, very quiet with the exception of the first drive for the majority of – the second quarter, the first quarter, second quarter, and third quarter. They finally sprung to life there in the fourth. 
when the team sprung to life. And look, Florida State had miscues, and they had gifts that they didn't take full advantage of. Malik Neighbors, the former Como High star, did okay in the passing game. He had two blunders in special teams. You know that he's upset about. You know that he's not pleased with himself about. But the funny thing is that Florida State didn't even capitalize on those. He had two muff punts, turned the ball over. Florida State didn't take advantage. Especially the second one. And yet, in spite of all of that, they still had a chance to win the game. Florida State looks to, to put the game away after the neighbors fumble the second one of the night. They have great short field position. They look like they're going to eat up some clock and punch the ball in to go up by two scores. And this is where a game that was, let's be honest, wasn't very good was not a game featuring two teams that are executing on all cylinders because neither team was. Both teams are going to struggle to get to probably seven wins. Florida State has a chance, and the running back bobbles it and then drops it on the turf. And LSU recovers the fumble, and they get the ball at their own one-yard line. And somehow, someway, Jane Daniels leads them down with his legs and completing passes to Butte, to Neighbors, to, to, to Thomas, to Jenkins. And he's, he's making his way down, and they're getting out of bounds, and they're doing everything that they're supposed to do. And then they get down, and he completes the pass to Taylor. And I'm watching it in the press box. I'm like, oh, oh, oh here we go. It's happening. And he completes it, and then he starts running across the middle of the field. And you see him being tracked by the Florida State DB, and you're looking up at the clock, and you're like, is time going to run out? Is time going to run out? This is crazy. This is insane. And he comes, and he gets tackled, and it appears live up in the press box that he had been pushed out of bounds. But then there's a discussion. Ball's at the two-yard line. And there's a discussion, and they have to review it, and it takes forever. It took forever for them to review that, but they made the right call. They broke down the film, and Taylor's knee touched in bounds, which means that the play was dead. But because he picked up the first down, that meant that the clock stops. No timeouts. LSU has one last play here to force overtime, and Daniels is back there ch -ch -ch, real quick, finds Jenkins for the second touchdown of the night. Jenkins came up huge in the wide receiving core, the veteran guy who's not the most heralded prospect of the group, but yet came up the biggest last night. In the back of the end zone, touchdown. The place goes crazy. The LSU fans come to life. And then comes the extra point. And in a game that featured so many miscues, it seemed fitting that LSU would lose the game because of special teams. They had a field goal miss. They had two muff punts. They had some penalties on special teams. They had a punt themselves from their own punter that went, what, 32 yards? 
And there right at the end, Ramos lines up to kick the ball, to force overtime. No time left on the clock inside the Caesar Superdome. And it's partially blocked by a Florida State player, goes sideways, nearly still gets across the crossbar, but unable to do so. Missed extra point, game over. Florida State celebrates 24-23. An ugly game that had a spectacular, thrilling, wildly entertaining finish. But we still have some question marks when it comes to these LSU Tigers. They weren't answered last night. Still time to do that. This is going to be a transition season. I've said it over and over and over again about Brian Kelly's team. He's trying to replenish a roster that was decimated that probably shouldn't even had enough guys to play in a bowl game. He's had to add so many kids from the transfer portal just to field a team. He's got guys from like Florida International and other places playing for him, starting for him. The guys that he's recruiting now are going to be the foundation. This is the transition year. But you would like to see this team be more disciplined. You would like to see this team tackle better. You would like to see this team do a lot of things better. Despite terrible special teams, despite no offensive line help, despite not being able to run the ball, despite being soft in the middle of the defense, they still nearly won this game. So what do we take away from that? Does this change your perception of how good this LSU team's going to be? It doesn't for me. We're going to find out early on in their SEC schedule just how good they're going to be. Because they'll beat Southern next week. And then it's Mississippi State comes to town with Mike Leach in year number three in Stark Vegas. they got to play Mississippi State. Then they'll play New Mexico State in between. That should be a win. And then Auburn on the road. You're going to find out a lot more about this team after the Mississippi State game and after the Auburn game. Once again, phone lines are open. 337-706-0111. We'll hear more from the LSU players and coaches when we come back here on RP3 and Company. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station, as we broadcast live from New Orleans on this Labor Day edition of the show. Great news, my sports-loving friend. No more aimlessly searching for sports talk love by swiping left or right. That's because you've already found the perfect match. For sports talk love, that is... Now, back to the only lover you'll ever need. The game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. LSU falls 24-23 inside the Caesar Superdome. For the All-State Louisiana kickoff... Lots of things to dissect, right? Jaden Daniels having to run for his life because the offensive line, in particular the right side of the offensive line, struggled. The lack of a running game. Kayshawn Boutte, was he engaged? Was he on the same page with Jane Daniels? 
some of the play calling, eh, defense was a little soft up the middle. The other, the other thing that stood out in, in this game was Mason Smith gets injured early on. They have to help him off the field. He had to go to the injury tent. They had to take him to then to the locker room. And then he was seen on crutches in a boot. That tells me that's going to be a lower leg injury. And I do believe he's going to get an MRI today. So that could be bad news for LSU and one of their most talented defensive linemen. And then on top of that, you have a veteran guy in Ali Gay that gets called for targeting. And it was the right call. He led with his helmet. Led with the crown of his helmet. Hit helmet to helmet. It was targeting all day long. Even the pro LSU folks up in the press box were like, that's going to be targeting. He's ejected from the game. So there was some just, just some miscues all across the board. and But obviously, special teams was one of the big things that they struggled with in this ball game. The two muff punts, the blocked extra point, the blocked field, the missed field goal, and then you had the muff punt, the, the punt itself that was only, what, 32 yards? And Brian Kelly talked about their woes on special teams last, last night. Well, I've been doing this a long time. You know, you, you put a guy back there and, and, and a guy like Malik Neighbors, um, and you watch him, you evaluate him through four weeks of practice, and, you know, you feel comfortable that, that with his elite skill set and, and uh, his mindset that he's going to be able to do a great job, and that wasn't the case. That was a mistake that we made. He wants to do it, and we'll have to reevaluate that situation. He's a great kid. We didn't lose the game because he dropped those two punts. Uh, we miraculously were able to overcome those. You, you usually wouldn't, but that's, um, you know, that's on us. You know, we made that evaluation. We watched him catch punts, and we felt like he was in a position that he could do that for us. As it relates to the, the field goal, it came from the same left side. We made an adjustment after the uh, field goal and, and made a, a switch in personnel, and um, that didn't work either. Um, that's on. That's us. That that's a. We have to do a better job coaching. I liked what he said there. I I, I, I liked what he said about Malik. It was honest about. They believed in the young man to be able to handle the job. He he didn't do that. That falls on the coaches. That falls on them. I, I liked that. It was constructive criticism. It was honest. It was it was transparent because it, it, Kelly puts it on him about hey my staff and I we didn't do the job and look Malik is a good young player you could tell he was crushed by the fact that he had the two muff punts now once again they didn't lead the points because Florida State didn't capitalize on those two muff punts on those two turnovers but and credit Malik he kept trying to make plays in this ball game especially in the in the in in the passing game so he didn't put his head down he kept trying to fight he kept trying to to get after it and his quarterback Jaden Daniels you know had his back and, and talked about the young wide receiver return man who had a rough night in the return game this is my, my little bro my, my little brother uh, you know nobody wants to be in that situation um, you know but at the end of the day can't show emotion on the sideline. Um, things happen. Um, you know, I know that he didn't want that to happen. Nobody wanted that to happen. So um, things happen, but at the end of the day, you know, you got to keep your head up. You know, he's a 
he cares. So uh, he shows like he cares. Uh, mistakes happen. Um, it's just football. So at the end of the day, like I said, just told him like keep your head up. Uh, don't show emotion on the sideline because you're gonna come out here. You're gonna make a play for, to help us win this game. I love what I hear there too. From the Arizona State transfer. There's a reason why he won this job because he has the skill set to be able to run for his life, more so than Nussmeyer. Can you imagine Miles Brennan being back there behind that offensive line? Ooh, not good. But I like the fact that he got his young wide receivers back and that didn't blame him. I like that there's a, that there's a level of accountability. I understand disappointment. I understand losing the game, but I like the little things that I'm hearing because those are the type of things that help build a foundation for success. That is what you hear. Let's head out to the game hotline. Welcome on Doug to the show. Doug, good morning to you, bud. Happy Labor Day to you and your family. Tell me what's on your mind, brother. No, the same to you, Ray. <clears throat> I mean, you uh, you hit on all all the things, Ray. I mean, you really did. And, and your poll question is, it's all the above. It's across the board, offense, defense, special teams, and and penalties. Penalties were, were not uh, um, high, uh, that that a targeting penalty. That was terrible, man. Oh. Was just, that was terrible. And the center, uh, uh, I don't understand that, but God Almighty, man. Uh, you could see where they just weren't ready. They just didn't look ready. And people talk about the game that Florida State had uh, last weekend that it wasn't really much to do about nothing, you know, but I say it does. It got that team ready. It felt, Doug, if, if, if I can, it, 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 Florida State felt like the more desperate team. Like, because of how – their their program's been so bad for the better part of what five years. They and their coach seems to be on the hot seat. They played with a sense of urgency. They played with a little bit more desperation, if you will, than yeah, say LSU yeah. did. And I think that played a role early on. Now, when when things started getting really kind of hot for LSU, they caught fire. Right? They started moving the ball down the field. They took advantage. Daniels was able to lead them on. But 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 you're right. They felt. Look look. Let's be honest. This was not a pretty game. This was an ugly ball game. This was some ugly football that was played out there last night inside yeah. the Superdome. This was not a yeah. good game. But to your point, it did seem like Florida State had a little bit more of desperation, and I think that played a role. Well, look, my mama's an LSU fan, and she asked me last night, why is that quarterback running so much? I said, well, mommy, he's got no choice. You know, that offensive line just couldn't hold up. My God. When mama, when mama's noticing things are wrong, you know there's an issue, yeah, Doug. I appreciate the boy. phone call, brother. Anyway, they got some work to do, and I'm not that heartbroken over the game. I mean, you can see that they got talent on this team. Just need to polish it up a little bit. There it is, brother. There it is. Happy Thanks Labor Day to you and to yours, my, my friend. Day. That's our guy, Doug. Let's head back out to the hotline. Welcome on, Reynolds, to the show. Reynolds, good morning to you, brother. Happy Labor Day to you and your family. My friend, what's on your mind? Hey, how you doing? How you doing? I'm not an LSU big-time fan, but I wanted them to do better. And like you, I saw a lot of disappointing plays. But the one thing that really aggravated me was 
I didn't see a lot of difference from last year to different uh, to this year on the fact that I thought that Kelly was supposed to bring a lot of discipline to this team. I did not see discipline last mm-hmm. night. A lot of missed tackles. They were they were trying to tackle high. I, I, I just poor tackling fundamentals. Uh, I just don't understand how you can you can't make adjustments. After halftime, they were killing them on the slant right, slant route, yep. in the middle. I mean, how can you not make a change for that? Uh, and Reynolds, Reynolds, every time, Reynolds, okay. every time Florida State needed and, to pick up a first down, every time they needed to pick up a first down, what they do? They attacked the middle of the defense, right? And there was a cushion there. And they, 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 if they needed five, six, or seven yards, they just did that little slant pass, like you said. Guy came across the middle, caught it, ran for three yards, first down all night long. Yeah. How, how can you not make, make a change on that? How can you not? I mean, I, I just don't understand. To me, I mean, you know, I'm just like you. They're going to have to rebuild. They're going to have – there was no continuity at all, I felt. Uh, and that's going to come with time. Uh, but I thought I'd see a lot more discipline uh, as far as the players, the fundamentals. So that's what he was preaching. That's what he was saying. But I didn't see a lot of it. Um, I just don't see – I mean, uh, they either get, get a little better or they got to stay the same because I don't see them progressing that much more unless something drastically happens. So, um uh, that's about it. Uh, y'all have a great uh, Memorial Day. You have a great Labor Day as well, Ronald. Thank you for the phone call. And, and, and to that, from all the reports were there was discipline in practice, but I think sometimes what happens when you have a transition of power, the coach is preaching discipline. The, the coach is preaching structure, the new coach, in this case, Brian Kelly. And that's fine in practice. That's fine in camp. But when you get under the lights and things start going sideways, things start going wrong for you in an actual in-game situation, those old tendencies, a little bit of panic, a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of lack of focus starts to seep back in. And I think you saw a little bit of that last night as well. Look, Kelly was not happy. Kelly was not happy with the play calling. And, and, and what about offensively? Why are you putting poor Jane, Jane Daniels back there in the, in the shotgun as much as he did? It, you're, you're putting him behind the eight ball. He had no time whatsoever to go through his progressions. So play calling on both offense and defense, not making adjustments, the lack of discipline, the targeting calls, the, the best. I mean, that encompasses everything, doesn't it? This is a veteran player who got called for targeting, and it was blatant as all day. We got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up on the special Labor Day edition of our show as we broadcast live from New Orleans following last night's All State Louisiana kickoff between Florida State and LSU. You're listening to the game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. P3 is the epitome of a high roller, constantly making large bets. But by doing that, the minimum bet is a dollar for a win, a dollar for a place, a dollar for a show. So it's essentially a $3 bet. That netted me a cool $6.70. What? 
Okay, so he's not a risk taker. He's your best bet for sports talk. 19. Hit me. 20. Hit me. 21. Hit me. 22. Go! Now, back to more RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NFL, and it's giving new customers a can't-miss offer to celebrate the start of a new football season. Bet just $5 on Thursday's game, and you'll get $200 in free bets instantly. And as an added bonus for Thursday, everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings' early win promotion. It's simple. Bet on Buffalo or L.A. to win. If your team leads by seven at any point during the game, you get paid instantly. Even if your team loses, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today. Use code 1037GAME to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on Thursday Night Football. That's code 1037GAME. Once again, 1037GAME to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on Thursday Night Football only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 years of age to play. Physically present in Louisiana. Select parishes only. Bonus issued as a free bet. One early win token issued at opt-in. Money line bets only. Deposit and wagering restrictions do apply. Eligibility and terms at DraftKings.com. Slash football terms. Licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1-877-770-STOP. We've been talking All-State Louisiana kickoff. Florida State beats LSU 24-23. to And let's hear a little bit more here from the LSU contingent. Tackling. Reynolds and Doug mentioned it when they called into the show in the last segment, how it is was an issue. Sloppy tackling. Lots of guys just going in, not wrapping up, right? Basic fundamental football, not wrapping up, not wrapping up. And Coach Brian Kelly talked about the poor tackling in last night's game. We felt like we could get off the field on third down. We thought we would tackle better. But you don't go through camp tackling at the level that, you know, you're trying to tackle, you know, the quarterback here at Florida State is very difficult. And we had a hard time getting them on the ground, quite frankly. Uh, and we have some pretty good players that couldn't get them on the ground. But we didn't tackle very well. We didn't communicate as effectively as we needed to on the back end of our defense. And, and again, that's, that's coaching and, and that's execution. And, and we're all in this together, players and coaches alike. We have to go back tomorrow and go back to work and, and, and get better at, at those things. But no, I, I, we didn't go through camp and go, wow, this is, we are who we are. We have all these holes. Uh, we didn't expect you know, a lot of the mistakes that we saw out there today. But as coaches, we have to be critical of ourselves and uh, look at our evaluation and say that, you know, we're part of this as well and, and we've got to do a better job coaching. Got to do a better job of coaching. They got to get their team better prepared. Once again, new coaching staff, whole new team. Got to do a better job. And, and look, as, as poor as this game was, because it was a, a, a poorly played game for the most part. 
Florida State seemed to want it a little bit more, and they they did outcoach LSU in stretches of this game, which was a little surprising to me. Back to you know Reynolds' point was, you know, all about the discipline, and we heard that and we saw that in practice. But sometimes old habits die hard for some of the carryover. Kayshawn Butte was a fascinating study last night. Once again, All-American record-breaking wide receiver for LSU. Holds LSU records, holds SEC records. Going to be a first-round draft pick more than likely. Came off an off-season where he needed surgery, was banged up. Remember, his season was prematurely ended last year. But the off-season saw him get a massive NIL deal. The offseason also saw him get that NIL deal to keep him here. It looked like he may have been on his way to Tuscaloosa to go play for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Looked like he was going to be in the transfer portal. But they kept him. The NIL deal helped. And he was supposed to be the guy. He is the guy. He did not have a great game. The former Westgate High Star just didn't. And where that's the first touchdown on that first drive that looked like it was a touchdown and he dropped it when he was when he hit the ground and that that's a tough catch. That that that's a tough catch. But then he wasn't on the same page with his quarterback, which could have been another touchdown. He didn't have a great night. He did not have a great night. He did not have the type of night we expect that we normally see, right? From Kayshawn Butte and and Brian Kelly, who called out his star wide receiver during the summer, during camp, had this to say about the local product. You know, I think it's like anything else. You know, here's a great player trying to make plays, maybe trying to do a little too much, you know, try to catch the ball before he had it. And, and I wouldn't read too much into it. I think he learned tonight that, you know, he's just got to let the game come to him. There's going to be some nights where, you know, he doesn't get – all the balls. There's so much, you know, that young man has so many, uh, you know, so much on his shoulders. You know, we just got to get to him and, and tell him to let the game come to him. He's going to get his catches and um, not to press as much. So from Brian Kelly's perspective, his dynamic wide receiver was pressing too much. And, and, and you can see that maybe a little bit. You can see that, that he – was trying to make too much to happen. And you can tell that Boutte got frustrated during the game. He was. I think he was frustrated with himself. I think he was frustrated with the team's performance. And and that's not how he wanted, let's be honest, his last season in Baton Rouge to go. I mean, if you're Kayshawn, think of it this way. First year was the awful COVID year after the national championship game where the team was bad. Last year, the team didn't get any better and he suffered an injury. So this is his final year in Baton Rouge. He's going to the NFL. He's going to play at the next level. A little frustrated there, but Brian Kelly says, hey, we just got to tell him, don't do so much. Let the game come to you. Kayshawn pressed a little bit last night, and it showed. And it showed a little bit. We really did. But it's a loss. Lots of things to focus on, lots of negative things to look at and to dissect, but – Brian Kelly was asked, what did they do well? And this is what he had to say. What we did well is we battled. Proud of the way we battled. What obviously we need to do better is play with a sense of urgency for four quarters, which we did not. 
What we learned is we've got to coach better. I mean, we, we've got to have our kids coached in, in a manner where they're ready, and, and I'm accountable for that. And we have to have them tackling better, executing better in all phases. So, so you do like that, right? You like the fight they showed late. They didn't give up. They scrapped and they kept fighting to get back into the ball game. You love that. Everything else, the lack of execution on the offensive line, the running game, the wide receivers, the special teams, the middle of the defense, that you don't like. That costs you a game. But the fight they showed late in the leadership that Jaden Daniels showed to lead them back, that's a positive, and that's something possibly Brian Kelly can build on. We got to take a timeout. More of RP3 and company coming up. We will give you an update on our poll question of the day and close out our number one here on this special Labor Day edition of the show as we broadcast live from New Orleans. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Poll question of the day. What was the most disappointing thing about last night's 24-23 loss to Florida State inside the Caesar Superdome season opener for the Tigers and the first game of the Brian Kelly era? Right now, leading the vote is all of the above. Your options are offensive line, which is garnering 9% of the vote. Special teams, a whopping 35% of you are voting for that. The running game, no votes yet. And then all of the above, 56% of your vote. Keep voting on the poll question of the day. We'd love to hear from you. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. I see you salty, Steve. We're going to get to your comment next hour, brother. That's going to do it for hour number one, hour number two coming up. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything going to be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Good morning. Welcome back to RP3 and Company as we broadcast live from just outside of New Orleans here on this special Labor Day edition of our show I'm the big, bald, and beautiful one, Raymond Parch III, better known as RP3. Of course, that means if I'm here, if I'm on the road, that means my producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names, is by herself in the game studios on this holiday edition of our show. Five names, not to worry. Not to worry. I'll be back tomorrow. Not leaving you. I'll be back in the studio tomorrow, and we can have greatness happen live on the air yet again. No. Oh, oh, there we go. Thank you. I'm so glad that you're not going to leave me forever again. Because that last month, that was just, it was not fun. 
Woo! Yeah, we had a we we we, we had a stretch there in uh, in July where it was SEC Media Days, Sunbelt Media Days, and then Raymond Vacation to begin August, and then I left for a couple more days in August as well. So, so no. The producer extraordinaire, she is killing it back in the game studios there in Upper Lafayette. Um, she's doing a tremendous job. If you want to holler at us, you know the number. I want to hear from you, LSU fan. I want to hear from you, UL fan. McNeese fan, I want to hear from you as well. We'll get to those recaps as well. UL coming up this hour. McNeese coming up in hour number three, the 8 o'clock hour. We're going to make sure to touch on all of our teams from this past weekend. And we're going to try to squeeze in a little Houston Astros talk as well. But the topic of the day, of course, LSU. They played last night inside the Caesar Superdome, falling 24-23 to Florida State. And, you know, there's so much to get to. And Steve, our buddy Salty Steve, left a comment on Twitter for our poll question of the day. What's the thing that you're most disappointed? Disappointing factor, the most disappointing thing last night's loss, if you're a Tiger fan, and he, he mentioned coaching, and, and that's fair. Now, I'm a little bit higher on Brian Kelly than our guy Salty Steve is. I think he's very good with his organization. I think he's going to run it like a business. Whether or not he wins a national championship, it, that remains to be seen. But – He's kind of the guy that this program needs. Because I had this conversation with someone last night in the press box and got to see all the heavy hitters. The Mad Dog was there, Ron Higgins. Jarrett Rozier was in the building. Jarrett Rozier was wearing a green jacket. Very stylish, our friend from Tiger Details. Brody Miller from The Athletic was there. All the big heavy hitters, Glenn Gilbo, Scooter Hobbs. We were talking people that have covered LSU for a long time. What you have to remember is this. We've seen how bad Florida State's been, right? And we recognize that Jimbo Fisher cratered that program before he left to go out of town. The APR scores, the fact that he wasn't recruiting quarterbacks very well, the fact that he was having players getting in trouble off the field, and they just weren't winning games. He lost the team. He didn't really care. He's too busy flirting with other jobs, in particular the LSU job. And when he finally left for Texas A&M, he cratered the program. And then Willie Taggart took over and made it worse. And now you have someone like Mike Norvell, who in year number three is trying to turn things around. As much as many of us, many of you listening right now, loved Ed Orgeron because he was, let's be honest, the right coach at the right time for LSU. They don't have that national title season without him because he was the one that got Joe Burrow. He's the one that got a lot of those guys to be there. It was a magical season, one that will live on forever. He cratered the program. Like, the trade-off for 2019 is that this is what you have. They missed on recruits. Cardell Thomas springs to mind. How about an offensive lineman that can block? He doesn't play he doesn't play. They missed. They missed on guys. And O lost the program, and he lost the team, and he cratered the team. The, the, the LSU team that you saw last night, 
has less to do with Brian Kelly and his staff and has everything to do with the fact that the program itself has been run down, and that's the product that you see. Kelly has his work cut out for him. Let's not undersell that. Brian Kelly has work to do. This is not going to happen overnight, guys. It's just not. The, the How poorly, how much the program fell what just is as remarkable as the ascension was for LSU for the 2019 season to, to have one of the greatest seasons in college football history, if not the greatest. The decline is just as remarkable, but for different reasons. Like you don't see that. You don't see a program just go and just explode. And Orgeron under his watch did that. And the program is not in good shape. Once again, remember what Brian Kelly took over. I'm not making apologies for him because he should have done a better job last night coaching that team. He should have had that team better prepared. He should have made his coordinators make adjustments during the game. Nothing drives me more crazy than when a head coach doesn't take his coordinators to task and pull them aside during halftime and go, um, get it together. This ain't working. Change. He has to be held accountable for that. Make no bones about it. But he inherited a team that had, what, 38 scholarship players? That had a wide receiver having to line up a quarterback for their bowl game? He's, got, he's had to get guys from Florida International to start for him. FIU. Florida International University. Not the University of Florida, not Miami. Florida International. Put that in perspective for a minute. This is going to be a process. This is going to take time for him to turn things around. Now, it will be on him to turn it around. That's why he's getting paid all that money. That's why he has the 10-year contract. And Scott Woodward's going to give him the time to turn around. Scott Woodward did not hire Brian Kelly for a short-term fix. He hired Brian Kelly to reestablish LSU year in, year out. But if I'm a Tiger fan this morning, I totally understand why you feel like you watched a Les Miles game. Because you kind of did. That, that, that was a Les Miles in his prime type of LSU game. Underperform, play down to the opponent, don't execute, multiple miscues, a wild, bizarre finish to a game that you lose. That is a less miles special. Order up. Right there. That's what it was. So I get the frustration. And Kelly deserves blame for being outcoached by Mike Norville. But this is going to be a long process. Don't underestimate how much damage was done by the previous head coach and his decisions in those last two years. There's a lot to change in Baton Rouge, guys, a lot. And it goes beyond X's and O's. It goes to changing the culture. It goes to holding guys accountable. Now, we have heard that. And if you listen to the post game, you heard that from the head coach and you heard that from the players. They didn't point the finger. They put it on them shoulders. I love hearing that. If I'm an LSU fan, you, that's what you want to hear. You want to hear accountability. But it's got to change moving forward. It's one thing to say it in the post-game press conference. 
to say, hey, we got to do a better job. We got to execute better. This is on us. We got to practice better. We got to be more motivated. Everything. That's great. They said all the right things. You got to back it up. You got to back it up. You can't be having a veteran on your defense get called for targeting, and it was plain as all get out. It wasn't even a tackle. He was running like a bull and just put his head down, helmet to helmet. Like, what are you doing? You saw one of the assistant coaches on the sideline. They put it up on the big jumbotron up there inside the Caesar Superdome last night, and you see him talking to him while they were reviewing the targeting call to see if it was, in fact, targeting and whether or not he had to be ejected from the game. And you see him talk to him, talk to his guy, talk to his player. What are you doing? That's on you. What are you doing? Bad habits in a culture take time to change. You can change leadership. You can change the pieces. But it takes time to change the mindset. To You saw a lot of bad habits in last night's game. That's what you saw. You saw them revert to sloppiness. The discipline and the accountability that we saw from LSU during practice during the summer in fall camp, it was missing. It was missing. They got to figure out how to take that from the practice field to the actual field. And their schedule, we're going to find out a lot. Look, they're going to beat Southern on Saturday. They'll beat New Mexico State. So that's going to be two wins in the next three games for them. But Mississippi State, huge question mark. I mean, Mississippi State was going to be a huge question mark to begin with. Third year of Mike Leach, you know it was going to be that way. And then Auburn. We have no idea what Auburn is. They're like LSU. We have no idea. I mean, Auburn celebrated in the locker room the other night like they won a national championship. Y'all won the first game. But they're wildly unpredictable, and that series between LSU and Auburn is bizarre. It is bizarre, and some of the craziest things happens in those games. So they're going to have time, but they got to make a trip to Florida. By the way, shout out to Billy Napier, former Raging Cajun head coach. Lots of people thought he should have been a candidate for the job at LSU. Lots of people believe that he should have been interviewed. Now there's been conflicting reports whether or not he was even interviewed for the job, whether he politicked for the job or people on his behalf politicked for him to get the job. Boy, he got his statement win, didn't he? Signature win right off the bat, taking down number seven Utah in the swamp. So LSU's got to play third year of Mike Leach at Mississippi State. They got to play an unpredictable, crazy Auburn team led by an administration that is bizarre. Billy Napier coached Florida team. Alabama. Did you see Bryce Young in his six touchdowns against Utah State? And once again, the disadvantage for LSU is that they're having to piecemeal things together with guys that aren't accustomed to playing SEC caliber talent week in, week out. And they're having to depend on those guys to lead the way. It's tough. It's tough. It's tough. But time will tell. Keep voting on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. What was the most disappointing thing from last night's game? Was it the offensive line play? 
Was it the special teams miscues? Was it the lack of running game? LSU couldn't run the football. LSU couldn't run the football. I'll say it for those in the back. LSU couldn't run the football. What? Or was it all of the above? Keep voting. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll share them throughout today's show. We'll talk about more about LSU coming up when Jeff Plarimo joins us shortly after 7.30, our friend from the Louisiana Radio Network and co-host of Tiger Rag Radio. But we'll talk a little Raging Cajuns coming up next. You're listening to RP3 and Company live from New Orleans on this special Labor Day edition of our show. You're listening to the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Football season is here in the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to crown you the tailgating king. Who doesn't want to wear the crown, huh? Come on now, tailgating king with our ultimate tailgate giveaway powered by St. Landry Lumber, Austin Outdoors, and the game. Here's the deal. You can score yourself $500 to Chop's Specialty Meats. Hello, now we're talking. $500 to Chop's Specialty Meats. A new grill with accessories, a cooler, a set of chairs, a $500 Visa gift card, tickets to LSU and Louisiana Raging Cajun football games, and so much more. Enter in the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com so you can enter. But we can't hook you up with the Ultimate Tailgate Giveaway. You can't win it if you don't sign up in the Rewards Club. So go sign up today at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's the Ultimate Tailgate Giveaway powered by St. Landry Lumber, Austin Outdoors, and The Game. Let's talk a little Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Let's go back Saturday. Rainy, rainy, rainy all day long. It, it, there was doubt if they were going to play the game. Thankfully, right before kickoff, the rain stopped. Producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names was there on site taking photos, sharing things to social uh, social media. Go check out the gallery she shot. We posted it through our social media on our Facebook page. Go like that. Go share it. She took a slew of photos, dozens and dozens of photos of fans and of game action. She did a tremendous job, so go check that out, Raging Cajun fans. Matt Miguez was up in the press box covering the game for the website. I took little one. It was Daddy-Daughter Day. That's right. We went to a little, like, uh, uh, indoor kids place where she could go and run around and have a great time and then we had some pizza and then we went to the game first half of the game that's all the seven-year-old could take but the rain stops and coach Dez gets to make his debut at Cajun Field as the head coach they end up getting the win 24 to 7 go up by 17 to nothing at halftime and Chandler Fields looked pretty good he connected with Johnny Lumpkin on two touchdowns Eric Garrar had himself a big game, 83-yard return for a touchdown. He also had an interception late that kind of sealed the win. 
It wasn't the prettiest game for the Cajuns, and we, we talked about that last week, that it wasn't going to look the prettiest, that it may be even a little sloppy, but I liked the Cajuns to win by double digits, and sure enough, they did. Offense got bogged down in the second half. You'd like to see them be able to execute a little bit better, but fields looked pretty good. So did Woolridge, the backup. Eric Guerra made plays. Johnny Lumpkin looked good. And Coach Dez talked about the game in itself overall and gave his thoughts on how he felt his team performed against the Southeastern Lions. The name of the game is to go out there and find a way to win, and I think our kids did a lot of really good things. You know, we came out, we set the tone, started really fast. I thought the defense sustained really the whole game. Um, you know, they really had a couple long drives there that they, you know, had to battle through a little bit. And offensively, it was kind of a weird flow of the game. We only had three drives in the first half. You know, we get all the way down on both drives. We score one, kick a field goal, and then go for it on fourth down and don't get it. So, you know, coming out in the second half, hadn't run a whole bunch of plays. Second half, you know, couldn't really get in a rhythm, and, and, and I told the players this, and I'll say it, you know, I got I to gotta get us going a little bit, try to find a way to get it started. I think they did a good job on defense. They pressured us a lot more, um, which is something that we, you know, in their history hadn't really done. So, you know, hats off to them. But uh, our defense kept us in it the whole time, which has been a recipe for success for us around here for a long time, and uh, our kids found a way to close it out. So a lot of good stuff on the tape, um, certainly a lot of things to fix. I think the big thing is when you have a chance to put a game away, you got to find a way to do it. So... We'll go back. We'll review it. You know, I was really proud. Our kids went out there and played with great effort, and uh, that's what we asked for. The rest of it, that's, that's, why we, that's why we coach. We get to fix those things. The nation's longest winning streak was extended on Saturday night there at Cajun Field with the 24-7 win over the Southeastern Lions. They did a tremendous job. I mean, they shut down their passing attack in the first half. Defensively, they were really, really good. Uh, they had some, some trouble containing – the Lions quarterback on design runs, which was a theme all weekend, it seemed like, in college football for our teams that we cover and we care the most about. But Chandler Fields did take the field first time as a starter. Uh, the heralded prospect who won the quarterback battle in fall camp after serving as Levi Lewis's backup for the past two seasons. And he talked about what was it like for him going out there and his first start as a college quarterback. Honestly, I woke up today and I felt like we were going to practice because we practiced so many times and it's at night usually. And I really didn't feel the game day atmosphere until I walked on the field. Plus, we did warm-ups in the indoor, which was different because of the rain. So I really didn't feel it until we walked on the field and it was, it was pretty surreal. So a surreal moment for him. I thought he played well. Um, he had some moments that you were like, yeah, you know, yeah, some – some missed opportunities there, but I thought the Cajuns – look, the, the Raging Cajuns did enough to win the ballgame. It wasn't the prettiest game. It, there were opportunities missed there. There were opportunities they left on the field, and they'll tell you that as much, and that'll be something that they work on. But the first game, opener, you know, they had their mistakes. It didn't lead to a loss. It did not put them – in such a bad situation that the game got away from them, unlike what happened with LSU. And Fields talked about, you know, how he felt with the offense throughout the entirety of the game. I think we started off firing. It was a great first drive. We, I mean, play calls was great. Everything really was clicking. And then after that, we just kind of coasted the rest of the game. And it was, I mean, 
It was frustrating, but we just had to handle our emotion on the sideline, and we just knew we'd get our chance at the end to score and put it away. That first touch. You know, the thing that kind of stood out to me that, you know, some people commented on, and once again, I, I was there for the first half. My daughter and I left at halftime, but then I listened to um, I listened and then watched the game the rest of the way. They don't have that big power running back. At least it doesn't appear to be. I like the Williams kid, the kid out of Manny High School. You'd like to see them run the ball a little bit more effectively. But once again, it's, it's the first game, and there's going to be things that they're going to work on. But great seeing Johnny Lumpkin being one of the stars here, right? The guy, the kid, looks the part. He's physically just, when you meet him, you go, whoa. Like, he looks the part like a star tight end in college. Two touchdown connections with with Chandler. That's amazing to see there uh, with that. And, and having – we've talked about it for years under Mark Hudspeth, and then we talked about it under Billy Napier. When's the tight end going to be featured? When's the tight end going to be featured in the offense? And Well, there you go. The tight end was prominently featured on that one but two touchdowns in Saturday's win over Southeastern. And, you know, Fields had some moments he'd like to have back. All in all, a pretty good debut for the young man and – his head coach, a former star quarterback for the Raging Cajuns himself, had this to say about his signal caller. Like everybody, I thought he did a lot of really good things, and I thought there were some that he left out there a little bit. But that's 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 football. That's playing playing quarterback. You know, there's a couple things in there that you know certainly we want to get fixed, some of the progressions and stuff like that. But I thought Chandler did a really good job. Like I said, we're going to let them throw the ball. We're, we're going to. We're going to throw it around, and you know you have to be accurate. You have to make good decisions. You have to put the ball in the money, and you got to finish the plays too. So we're not going to play a game to try to hide a young quarterback. That's just that's not good for our team. It's not good for our development in the future. So I was proud of him. I thought he did a good job. I thought for the most part handled it really well. You know, and it's a lot to build off of for him. Certainly a, a good confidence boost going into uh, you know going to the next week. I like that. I like that approach. I mean, basically what Des is telling you is like it's not going to be pretty. We're going to let him make mistakes. He's going to screw up. But that's going to be the best for him in his development. Sometimes coaches get, think too much. Sometimes coaches will look at it and go, oh, I, need a, I, need a, I need a shelter. I need, I, need, I need to protect my quarterback. Now, Dez is old school. Dez received tough coaching growing up, and he got it in college too. So yeah, he's going to be like, hey, my guy, he did a lot of good things. He also did some things that weren't too good. But we're going to let him throw. We're not going to be scared for him to throw the football to try to protect him. Because what's the point? You're not helping your quarterback at all if you just put him out there and he's and, and make him play scared. And you, coach scared. Yeah, you're not going to win a lot of games that way. Big playmaker for the Cajuns in this game, of course, was Eric Guerra. Uh, look, return specialist, defensive back. He made plays in both regards. And this is what the young man had to say about that 83-yard return for a touchdown. It made Cajun Field go bananas, and this is what he had to say. No, I got I, I to gotta, I gotta give uh, a big thanks to my uh, to the block team, everybody on the block team. Uh, I don't, don't want to leave nobody out. I got to get a huge, a huge thank you to those guys because without those guys, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be scoring a touchdown. And, like, when I, when I caught it, I, I didn't see nobody. So that means that mean they were blocking their tails off of me. And I, I, I want to thank him so much for that. Got to love that. Veteran guy has the opportunity to put the spotlight on him, right? Came up with a huge play, a couple of huge plays in this ball game in the 24-7 victory for the Raging Cajuns over the Lions.
And what does he do? I, I, I got to make sure to give credit to everybody else. I got to shout out my guys. I got That's what you want to hear from one of your veteran guys. What about the defense? What about later when he was able to get the interception that proved to be a huge play on the defensive side of the football? Uh, I've I seen a lot. We, we came to play today. We made plays on the ball like we posed to, and everybody just come out and just fill it, fill it in. So if Trey Album, somebody, we, we got somebody else to come in, and like we got nobody else to put it back, put in the game. And I, I just been saying that from since I got here, since when those got here, guys got here with me. I just been seeing how them, how they've been working, working their tails off, working their butts off, just to get where they at today. Working their tail off defensively, they did do a nice job. I expect this team to be led by its defense throughout the season while Fields kind of goes through the growing pains of being a starting quarterback in college while they still try to find that depth at running back. But, look, this is going to be a good team. Are they going to win 13 games? Probably not. Are they going to get back to a bowl game and play for a conference championship? I do believe so. They're going to get tested. South Al's going to test them. And Troy, Troy's offense didn't look very good against Ole Miss, but Troy's defense bottled up the Rebels for – a majority of their game over the week in their opener, Troy played at Ole Miss. So Troy and South Alabama are going to test them. But the Cajuns start off the season 1-0. They'll look to continue that this coming weekend when they host Eastern Michigan out of the MAC. we got to take a timeout here on RP3 and Company. When we return, our first guest today, Jeff Palermo, our friend from the Louisiana Radio Network and co-host of Tiger Rag Radio, will join us. We'll revert back to talking about those LSU Tigers, his biggest takeaways from what he saw inside the Caesar Superdome last night in New Orleans. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You know the routine. Eat, drink, sleep, and sports. All day, every day. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving new customers a can't-miss offer to celebrate the start of a new football season. Bet just $5 on Thursday night's game and get $200 in free bets instantly. And as an added bonus for Thursday, everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings' early win promotion. It's simple. Bet on Buffalo or L.A. to win. If your team leads by seven at any point during the game, you get paid instantly. Even if your team loses. Oh, that's pretty nice. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use code 1037GAME. That's 1037GAME to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on Thursday night football. That's code 1037GAME, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 years of age to play, physically present in Louisiana. Select parishes only. Bonus issued as free bets. One early win token issued at opt-in Moneyline bets only. Deposit and wagering restrictions do apply. Eligibility and terms at DraftKings.com slash football terms. Licensee partner is Golden Nugget Lake Charles. And if you have a gambling problem or know someone that does, call 1-877-770-STOP. Time for us to talk more about LSU's disappointing start to the season, 24-23 loss inside the Caesar Superdome for the All-State Louisiana kickoff as they fall to Florida State. 
to open up the Brian Kelly era. Joining us now here on RP3 and Company is the sports director for the Louisiana Radio Network. He's also co-host of Tiger Rag Radio, which you can listen to every Tuesday here on the game. It's our friend Jeff Palermo. Jeff, happy Labor Day to you and yours. Brother, how are you this morning, my friend? I'm doing well. Uh, still kind of stunned over what we saw last night in the Caesar Superdome. Well, all right. So let's let's start there because I, I I'm was in the building. I got a firsthand look at at the problems. All the question marks we had about this team still remain. And, and let's start with the offensive line because when the true freshman Will Campbell performs better at left tackle than the veteran guys that they had part of the program and Bradford and Wire on the right side, that's a huge problem for this team moving forward this season. Cam Wire had a really rough night. I cool. mean, he got <laughs> – I mean, bold rush a few times. Uh, just, yeah, you would have thought if you were watching a game that Cam Wire was the, the true freshman on that offensive line and not Will Campbell. Um, it, it, it's – you're yeah, I, I, we all said, can this offensive line come together? Uh, the Dellinger missed snap on – the opening drive of the night inside the red zone set the tone, I think, for the rest of the night offensively, especially on that offensive line, which just frankly just absolutely struggled. And it gives you an indication that this program was really deteriorating under Ed Orgeron when this is what is left for Brian Kelly to work with on that offensive line. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's it gives you an idea of of where you're at and how much work um, LSU and this this new coaching staff had to do to to put something together, put five guys on the field, and it was still an absolute disaster. In in to further your point, Jeff, I mean, it, the, the offensive line I believe was a little bit neglected during recruiting cycles by yes. Ed O yes. and his staff. That, that, that's top priority. And the second thing is they also missed on Guy. Cardell Thomas is a, a huge bust, right? I mean, he was supposed to be right. the anchor of a recruiting class, and the kid can't even get on the field when the offensive line plays as poorly as it has the last couple of years, including last night. The offensive line uh, did not allow them to be able to run the ball effectively, and Jane Daniels was running for his life all night long. But what do you make of the play calling? Because – I, 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 it seemed off to me. I, I mean, with the exception of the first drive, Jeff, where they were able to kind of take advantage of two Florida State penalties, able to get in there, had a chance. Boutte does not hold on to the to the touchdown reception. They have to settle for three. The play calling and how they utilize Daniels, I don't, I don't know if they did him any favors either, especially for the first three quarters. Yeah, especially for the first three quarters. And then they just decided in the fourth quarter, all right, Daniels, you're taking three steps and you're getting rid of the ball. Cause, yes, cause, and uh, I, I don't know why that adjustment wasn't made earlier. Uh, it was pretty evident, uh, really, even on that first drive of the night, that Daniels will not have much time to throw the football. It, it was it was really slow to react to that. Uh, never able to get a, a running game established. I mean, what? I mean, the, the run total number is going to look good because Daniels ended up rushing for over 100 yards, which again tells you something right there. But when is the last time you've seen LSU um, just not a speed against a, an opponent? 
outside of Alabama, okay? Outside of playing Alabama, when's the last time you've seen LSU just not able to establish any kind of running game at all? I mean, just absolutely no identity, no uh, nobody ever really able to get in any kind of a groove, uh, couldn't figure, you know, just, just couldn't run the ball, flat out couldn't run it unless Daniels was running for his life. So that was... Um, that was eye-opening. It, it, it really was. It, it just gives you a sense. It, it, when you watch the game, you can see why there are predictions that this team is, could go 6-6 six and six this year. And let's stay with the offense before switching over to the defense. I thought, you know, the play calling was bad until late in the game and they adjusted. The offensive line play was poor. What'd you make of the night Kayshawn Butte had? I don't. I, that was rough. That was rough to watch as well. And it took him a while to get Jack Besh involved as well. Um, and, and really, you know, Jare Jenkins ha- ended up having a nice game with the two touchdown catches. Um, but Kayshawn did not look like a preseason All American. And we talk about all these question marks with LSU's offense, the, the offensive line. The running backs, um, what are they going to get out of starting quarterback? The guy that you really needed to have a good game was, was Kayshawn Booty, and he flat out had a, a, a lost game out there. It, it looked like I, – I know he has not played in a while. Obviously, has not played since last October. But watching him play, it looked like he had not played a game since, like, October of 2020. <laughs> just, just completely all out of sorts. And – that was um, that was uh, very concerning as well, and you know there's been questions about you know Kayshawn Booty's commitment and all this other kind of stuff, and it, it, he certainly didn't look like a guy that was uh, fully engaged with what was going on out there, and you 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 hope that this was just one game, shake off the rust. This isn't an example of a guy looking at all the draft projections, seeing that he's going to be a top ten pick, and him just kind of going out there and going through the motions because that's what it what it seemed like. And a guy that you hope is not second guessing himself, saying, you know what, maybe I should have left when I when I had the opportunity. You just it, it, it's one game. I mean. You hope it's not that, that he bounces back and he still has the great season that I think most of us expect, but that was not a good look for him last night. Talking with Jeff Palermo, co-host of Tiger Rag Radio, also sports director for the Louisiana Radio Network. He joins us here on RP3 and Company as we recap LSU's 24-23 loss to Florida State. Let's go to the other side of the football. The, the D-line suffered a huge loss with Mason Smith leaving the game early. And it just encompassed everything for me uh, about last night's game. He gets hurt because he was celebrating. It it was not even a contact. He was celebrating, jumping up and down, then making a play. He injures himself. He's in a walking boot and on crutches on the sideline. And then later in the game, you have a senior, one of your leaders, Allie Gay, Blatant targeting call, blatant, and he has to leave the game. Uh, we kept hearing about discipline, about structure, about what Brian Kelly was bringing to the table, yet two of the guys in that front seven that's supposed to be a strength of this team, 
did two boneheaded things. One cost himself possibly the season with an injury. The other one cost himself a game. Well, um, the, the, the whole idea, the, the celebrating thing, I'm not, I'm not going to get down on Mason Smith on that. It's early in the game. You're playing with emotion. Your guy makes a tackle. You kind of you, you jump up. I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's one of those freak things. It's an unfortunate thing. Um, I, I know everybody, everybody's looking at the whole celebrating thing, but I don't, the, the Alley Gay thing, and then you can even go to special teams and the, the unsportsmanlike penalty by Harold oh. Perkins. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, what are you doing? Um, yeah, uh, I, I mean, I look at those things as, as much bigger, bigger things. And, yeah, if there was ever a textbook targeting penalty of, of what a, a real targeting penalty looks like, it was Allie Gay. I mean, oh, yeah. that was just flat-out brutal, um, uncalled for in today's game. So I, I thought for the most part, though, the defense, as weird as it sounds, they kept them in the game. You know, the, the Malik, the game really could have been put away. Well, maybe not necessarily put away, but could have been LSU could have been looking at a real tough situation if Florida State had scored on that first Malik Neighbors muff punt. But LSU right. keeps them out of the end zone. Uh, one of the two touchdown passes thrown by Jordan Travis comes on a. A really good trick play. I mean, it, it was it was well designed, and you you kind of tip your cap to Florida State on that one. And then I thought also Jordan Travis. I thought he played well. I mean, he uh, he did. I thought he 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 did well. So I think you got to give some credit to them. So I mean, I think the defense kind of kept LSU in this game, and I thought. Um, you know, Major Burns was all over the field. Jay Ward, the same thing. The big thing was all the missed tackles, though. There, there were a ton of missed tackles, especially when they were trying to wrap up Jordan Travis. They start the season with a loss. It, it you know, there's still plenty to work on for this team. Offensive line. What's going on with Keishon Butte? Being able to run the football, tackling better. Special teams was a huge issue last night whether it was the punter, whether it was the punt returner, or it was, you know, it, 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 the gunner, it, it didn't really matter. A little bit going to the drawing board for Brian Kelly. They got Southern coming up on Saturday. They got New Mexico State in a couple weeks, but they also have Mississippi State in between and then Auburn after that. Uh, does this change your perception on what you think LSU is going to look like when we get to October, Jeff? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I didn't think they were this – I didn't think that the issues were – we knew they had issues, but I didn't think they were – This bad? I didn't think the offensive line would play this bad. I, I really didn't. I, I guess I, I started to buy into all the uh, positivity that was being thrown out there from preseason camp. And it's, it's so hard to it's, – it's, it's so hard to try to ignore it or, or try to you know, put it into context – but, um, the, yeah, the O-line is struggling. I think the Mason Smith injury, that's big. That's, that's a huge loss for you there on inside. Uh, that's a guy you really can't replace, uh, in my mind. Um, and you wonder where you're at with a running game. Um, 
I mean, I was thinking, I, I was thinking they could win nine games. I, I, I had them at eight and four, but um, I mean, I could see them easily losing to Mississippi State on the seventeenth. I mean, a veteran team like Mississippi State, it returns a bunch of starters. Uh, you could call Mike Leach's offense a gimmick, a one-trick pony, a guy that can't make in-game adjustments, and all that kind of stuff. But that's a veteran team, and this LSU team has a long way to go. And the one thing that I always was saying during the offseason was that this was what we have seen here has been a, a, nearly a complete turnover of this program with a whole new coaching staff, all kinds of new personnel inside that football operations building, uh, uh, all these new players, whether on the transfer portal, the freshman class, and it's going to take some time. It's going to take some time to put it all together. And I know this team is going to point to, hey, we made all these kind of mistakes and we still lost by one point. But I don't think Florida State's that good of a team either. I mean, I think Florida State's going to struggle to win seven games this year. So uh, I think there's a long way to go here, Raymond, and it's, uh, they, they have the ability to get better. Uh, you got 11 more games left on the schedule. But, again, going back to what I said, this, what you saw last night is why some people – predicted this team to go six and six this year jeff appreciate you joining us on this labor day brother hope you get to have some time with the family today enjoy it and we'll talk to you next monday my friend all right sounds good raymond thanks that's jeff palermo co-host of tiger rag radio and the sports director for the louisiana radio network recapping LSU's 24 to 23 loss to Florida State last night inside the Caesar Superdome. We got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up our number two, update the poll question of the day. That's all next, right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Asked you what was the most disappointing thing from LSU's loss to Florida State last night. It's our poll question of the day, and right now, 51% of you say all of the above special teams is garnering 40 percent of the vote online nine percent of you are voting for the offensive line no votes yet for the lack of a running game but right now you guys are saying all of the above everything was disappointing in that 24 to 23 loss to the Seminoles that's going to do it for hour number two hour number three we'll kick it off with William Cachatis the author of Lefty and Tim we'll talk about his latest book that's next here on the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Uh-huh. Welcome back to RP3 and Company as we broadcast live from New Orleans, Louisiana. That's right. We were in attendance last night for the All-State Louisiana kickoff featuring the LSU Tigers versus the Florida State Seminoles. Loss 
for Brian Kelly and company, 24-23 as Florida State holds on to win. It ends in dramatic fashion. It was a game that was, let's be honest, lackluster, lacked execution. It was sloppy on both sides. Neither one of these teams seems as it stands right now, Labor Day, as a world beater, does not appear to be a team that's going to, I don't know, be dominant, compete for division or conference championships. They're both trying to find their way. They're both trying to rebuild and get back to where they used to be. That said, it was a dramatic ending filled with drama. Florida State's up by a touchdown. They have the ball at the goal line after Malik Neighbors commits his second muffed punt of the evening. Florida State has a situation at the goal line to punch it in and go up by two scores and put the game away. And then they fumble. And LSU recovers. And Jane Daniels, who had been running for his entire life the entire night because the offensive line, in particular the right side of the offensive line, was awful. He guides the Tigers all the way down. They get down to the two-yard line. We have a stoppage, in time, a stoppage in play because the officials have to review whether or not the LSU wide receiver, Taylor, actually got out of bounds or not. It was irrelevant. They spent all that time reviewing it. His knee was down, but they got the first down, which stops the clock, which means LSU had one play left. Daniels finds Jenkins in the back of the end zone. Touchdown. Woo! Crowd goes crazy. Superdome went nuts. Finally, the, the LSU fans, which started finally having something to cheer about in the fourth quarter, go berserk. The loudest they were all night long. Florida State fans drowned them out for most of the night. And then comes the special teams again. Extra point attempt by Ramos. Partially blocked. Still nearly had a chance to make its way over the goalpost. Doesn't. Game over. Special teams were a huge issue for LSU last night. We can talk about the offensive line being problematic. We can sit there and talk about how that was an issue. The right side of the offensive line, we can talk about Kayshawn Butte not being on the same page with his quarterback. We can talk about Jane Daniels having to run for his life. We can talk about the running game not being very good. We can talk about the middle of the defense being a little soft as Florida State was able to attack between the hash marks all night long. Anytime they needed a big third down conversion, you know what they did? Hey, it's five, six yards, not a problem. Throw it across the middle on a slant. Guy catches it, runs for another three yards. First down, moving the chains. We can talk about how Florida State outcoached LSU. But the special teams were awful last night. Malik Neighbors had the two fumbles. Now, thankfully for him, the young man – right here in, uh, from Acadiana, did not result in points. Florida State was unable to capitalize on those two turnovers. Great field position, didn't punch it in, didn't get any points, neither time. But the punter had a shank punt of only like 32 yards in the ball game. He had a special team gunner get called for an unnecessary penalty of like 15 yards. Extra point blocked. Field goal missed. It was not something good, and I think LSU fans have taken, you know, let's be honest, LSU fans have been a little spoiled when it comes to great special teams play. I mean, it was not there last night. LSU loses 24-23. On the flip side of that, 
the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Meanwhile, they got a victory on a rainy, rainy Saturday evening. I was there in attendance, brought my daughter to the game. We caught the first half in person. It wasn't the prettiest game, and we talked about how it wasn't going to be the prettiest game. But when Chandler Fields hit Johnny Lumpkin on that first touchdown, cool, that was something to behold. Being on ground level, my daughter, of course, wanted to roll up and down the hill. <laughs> you know, when we got there, it was the bouncy castle. It was watching a little bit of the football, and then it was like, Daddy, can I run up and down the hill? So I had to go down the hill. By the way, that hill is very steep, and when you are – uh, around three bills, getting back up it is a bit of a challenge, but the old calves, not to worry, got to work out. But seeing it on the ground level, or close to the ground level where we at there, right along the fence line watching the early part of the game, well, that was just perfectly thrown. Perfectly thrown, great catch. Great to see the tight end being utilized in the Raging Cajun offense. And, and look, the – it felt like they let their foot off the gas in the second half. They were up 17-0. They went for it one time in the first half. They could have had more points if they just would have kicked. But they let their foot off the gas a little bit. But you can see what the potential is for this offense. You can see what Chandler Fields brings to the table. The fact that you know Johnny Lumpkin was out there making plays. We've been waiting for the tight end to be part of this offense, prominently featured in this offense for, I don't know, feels like eight, nine years. The running game was okay. I thought, I thought it was okay. I liked what I see out of Williams, the kid out of Manny. He looks the part, right? He looks like a guy that can be a featured running back for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. I liked what I saw from there. And, of course, this team's led by its defense. We, we, we talked about it all offseason, that the Louisiana Raging Cajuns would be led by their defense. 24-7, to they're going to be winning games that aren't exactly the prettiest. Not exactly the prettiest. But they got the job done. They move on to being 1-0, and guess what? Now they host Eastern Michigan on Saturday at Cajun Field. And we'll talk more about that as the week progresses. But right now here on RP3 and Company, it's our privilege to welcome on the author, William Cachatis, his latest book, and it's a good one. If you're a baseball guy, you're going to love this. Lefty and Tim, how Steve Carlton and Tim McCarver became baseball's best battery. Huh. You get to talk about a book about the Philadelphia Phillies when the Phillies have heated up here in the month of August, heading into September, and they're looking like they're trying to get in there as a wildcard team. Joining us now is the author himself, William Cachatis. William, good morning to you, brother. Happy Labor Day to you and your family. How are you doing? Okay. Um, I think you might have spoke uh, spoken a little too quickly about the Phillies, though. They just uh, dropped three in a row out in San Francisco. Um, <laughs> and this is... This is typical. This time of year when it's crunch time, we just do not come through. So let's hope things turn around. We're, um, they're heading back home here for um, six uh, division games against the lowly uh, Miami Marlins and Washington Nationals. So, um, you know, the playoff hopes or wild card hopes are still alive. 
got to and, and you got to take care of business against uh, a few of the bottom feeders. That's but that always seems to be the case, right? Uh, the teams that you should beat, you struggle against, and the teams that you shouldn't beat, you end up beating. Uh, that's that's why we love the game of baseball. And look, uh, reading through your book, there's you obviously have a passion, a love affair for baseball. Let me ask you. When did it first begin for you? What's your earliest memory when it comes to the great American pastime and, and when you fell in love with it? 1964, uh, this, I can tell you exactly. The Phillies were up by six and a half games with uh, 12 left to play. They lost 10 in a row and gift wrapped the National League pennant for the St. Louis Cardinals. Never forget it. <laughs> And see, that, that's the sign of a true sports fan. People ask me all the time, um, I'm a diehard uh, Atlanta Braves fan, and they ask me, you know, what's the one memory that stands out to you most, more than anything? And I go, uh, Kent Herbeck pulling Ron Gann off of first base in the, the World Series and Kirby Puckett hitting the World Series game-winning home run. Like, that's mm-hmm. what you remember. Mm-hmm. Like, it's weird, as, as a fan, you remember the failures. You remember the, the moments – those are the ones that are crystallized for you. I, I remember more about that World Series loss, the, the Game 7, the magnificent series between the Braves and the Twins, more than I do them beating the Cleveland Indians in 95 to win the World Series. I, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, 1964 here in Philadelphia uh, was called the year of the blue snow, and it has always reminded us that uh, Murphy's Law is intact if anything wrong can happen uh, with the Phillies and with any Philadelphia sport. Um, It will. It will. I mean, you know, remember, the Eagles had not won a Super Bowl until 2018. Um, The 76ers always managed to go down in flames in the playoffs. Um, and the Flyers haven't done anything since 19, what, 1974-75. So, yes, I mean, unfortunately, we're a hard-luck town. Now, on the other hand, when the Phillies uh, and the other Philadelphia teams do win and they, they win a title, you always remember it. I mean, you always remember it because there's so few and far uh, between William, let's talk a little bit about the genesis of this book. I mean, you've published more than 20 books during your time. Uh, it can't be the untold story of their rocky relationship and the breaking of baseball's color line. Uh, also, Macho Row, which you wrote about the 1993 Phillies team with, with all those kind of outlaws, so to speak. Uh, obviously, writing about baseball, writing about sports is in your wheelhouse, but tell me a little bit about the genesis of wanting to write about Lefty and Tim exclusively. I had written a book on the 1980 Phillies called Almost a Dynasty, The Rise and Fall of the 1980 Phillies, and that was published in 2008. And I thought that there was much more that could have been said about Carlton and what more could have been said was his relationship with Tim McCarver. Uh, it's not even arguable. I can say that without Tim McCarver, Steve Carlton would have been a one-and-done Cy Young Award winner. 
McCarver resurrected Carlton's career when he came back to Philly in 1975 and caught him for the next four years, 76 through 79. Um, and they were the greatest battery in Major League Baseball. Um, and if, if, if you'll indulge me, I, I do want to talk about that a little bit more. Uh, in the book, what I, I do is I uh, base the greatest batteries uh, on the number of starts and the number of victories. The standard of excellence is 100 starts for the same battery over a four-year period of time or 25 starts per season. Uh, standard of excellence for wins is 18 to 20 wins per season and a 600 winning percentage. In terms of starts, in that four-year period, Carlton made 140 starts, and McCarver caught 128 of them. There are only three other batteries that came close. Goltz and Weiniger of the Twins with 119, Rogers and Carter of the Expos with 108, Forsh and Simmons of the Cardinals with 107. In terms of wins, Carlton was 72-38 and 38 in that four-year period, with a 6.55 winning percentage with McCarver behind the plate. Closest in victories was Boltz Weiniger with 51. And the National League, Fourth and Simmons had 45. So, you know, they were clearly, those two guys were clearly the cream of the crop. William, let me ask you this. You know, even for those who know a ton about a team, about a franchise, about a program, and even those who write about it as much as you have, anytime you take on a new project, anytime you take on a new book, you're going to learn something new, something that's going to surprise you. Uh, what surprised you during your research and during your writing of your latest book, Lefty and Tim? I knew that they were, I knew that they were great in that four-year period. I had no idea that they were uh, among the all-time batteries in the history of the game. Um, you know, we're talking about, uh, you know, the, the, the greatest guys ever. I mean, the only uh, people that, uh, the only two batteries um, that were better than them in terms of career starts were Mickey Lolich and Bill Freehand of the Tigers and Warren Spahn and Del Crandall of the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, now, of course, in terms of wins, um, you know, they are, I guess, 16th all time, but they're in the top 20. And I had no idea that they were that good. Um, you know, now, of course, in the 19, in the book I wrote on the 1980 Phillies, I covered, you know, all the highlights, um, about, uh, Carlton's career, but I think what was so astonishing to me was the impact that Tim McCarver had on him uh, for the 11 years they played together, 11 seasons they played together, and that really began in St. Louis in 1965, and then again they came back together in Philadelphia two times, 1972 
and then 75 through 79. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, just the impact that McCarver had on him. Well, William, it is a tremendous read. Once again, Lefty and Tim, how Steve Carlton and Tim McCarver became baseball's best battery. It's available in bookstores right now, also available online, wherever you get your uh, you get your books from, Amazon and others. William, appreciate your time. Thank you so much uh, for sharing this. Can't wait to finish the book, and we'll talk to you soon, and happy Labor Day to you and your family. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. That's William C. Kashatis. He is the author of Lefty and Tim, How Steve Carlton and Tim McCarver Became Baseball's Best Battery. Go check it out if you're a baseball guy. You don't have to be a Phillies fan to enjoy a book about some of the best players to ever play the game. I'm a baseball nerd, so good stuff here. Can't wait to finish it. Hey, reminder, time is running out for you to score tickets to see the Houston Astros live in person. Tick, tick. Tick, tick, tick. Time is running out. Go register in the Game Rewards Club right now to win yourself four tickets to see Houston take on Tampa Bay Saturday, October 1st. We will even throw in, because we're, lot, because we're good like that, we're nice like that, we're going to throw in a tour of the ballpark, hotel accommodations that Saturday night. This is the last Astros weekend giveaway of the regular season. Astro weekend getaways, of course, are powered by Butcher AC, Love Meridian, Houston downtown, and the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll recap a little bit of what happened to the McNeese Cowboys first game under Gary Goff. That'll be next. And we'll update our poll question of the day as the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, Miss Hannah Five Names, will share your comments. That's all coming up next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. You know how some fellas don't care how they look? I mean, a few of you are rocking sweatpants that haven't been washed in days. Ew. Not to worry, my dear unkempt friend. RP3 and Company is a judgment-free zone. Hell, sometimes these guys don't even wear pants. I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The... Party the pants with the pants. Party with pants. Now back to the hopefully fully clothed RP3 on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. I'll say it's got a high hope for this team. I do. Uh, we just played a, a great football team, but uh, we're better than that. But we got to execute, right? I mean, if we execute and make the plays, the routine plays, this is a real tight ball game. Head coach Gary Goff of the McNeese Cowboys talking about his team following their 40-17 loss Saturday night at number four ranked Montana State. And look, credit the Cowboys here. Uh, once again, it's a loss, but first game of the Gary Goff era. Huge turnover on the roster, even more so than what Brian Kelly's dealing with at LSU uh, 53 new players on the roster, had to go to the transfer portal, had to go to JUCO, complete turnover. They're starting to get back to some sense of normalcy. It's going to take a while. It's a transition year for sure for Coach Gary Golf. but you have to be impressed by what you saw from McNeese for the first few quarters. They went toe-to-toe here with a team that played for the national championship a year ago. They went toe-for-toe for two quarters. 
for a program that had to play two seasons last year, a program that didn't play the year before, a program that's been marred by APR and by hurricanes and by coaching turnover, and yet they showed a lot of fight going across the country and playing well. This is the difference when you're in a loss like this. Yes, they lost, but they showed a lot of fight and they showed a lot of heart and they showed a lot of guts, and that's what you want to see. Now, of course, after halftime, Montana State kind of woke up a little bit there in Bozeman. They outscored the Cowboys 16 to nothing there in the third quarter. Offensively, McNeese couldn't really get much of anything going. Knox Kadem was 11 of 21 for 126 yards. One touchdown, but had two interceptions. And, and really, you need to make more plays early on especially if you're going to take down a giant like Montana State. And Coach Gary Goff talked about that afterwards. Yeah, there, there is. But, you know, we, we, we can't wait until the end of the game to make those plays. You know, uh, I thought early on Knox did a good job managing the game. You know, we, we, we got to get better at throwing the ball downfield. You know, so we, we got to find some answers right there. But, um, you know, I, I thought he did a good job managing the game. I tell you, that, his first interception, that, that linebacker made an unbelievable play. And that, that was a heck of a football play right there. But, um, you know, we, we got to execute and we got we to play fast or, or get off the blocks, you know, a lot faster than that first half. Also key for them was, you know, in the second quarter, they had an opportunity to get a touchdown. They were unable to get it. And you got to be able to seize those opportunities, especially when you're playing uh, a superior opponent, which that's what Montana State is right now. That's where Gary Golf wants McNeese to be, but that's not where they're at right now. Once again, first season at the helm. And he talked about, you know, not being able to get that touchdown there in the second quarter. Pretty big, you know, pretty big. Get a chance to take the lead right there, and, and instead we, we made a wrong read. You, you know, but I thought it was a good play call. It seemed like we had it blocked up. We just gotta trust the play, just run the play. You know, that 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 hurt. That hurt. We we went up right there. I think that'd been fourteen ten. I think right there at that time. That's why I say they went toe to toe with one of the best teams in the country. But once again, when you're learning how to win, when you're learning to build a new culture, it takes time. You get placed in, in situations that you're not accustomed to, and that's where the inexperience, and that's where not having the utmost confidence that you can go and win a game like this kind of creeps in a little bit. This is something that they're going to learn along the way. And look, the offense did do some nice things. They did do some nice things, but Gary Goff from the air raid offense, he's an offensive-minded coach, talked about, you know what, they got to get better. You know, I, I thought they did a good job. I mean, I got to watch the film and see. But you know, um, we got to convert. We got to convert third downs. You know, we, we can't we can't go three and out for defense right back out there. And, and to be honest, that was one of my fears coming into this ball game. You know, we just hadn't had a whole lot of rhythm offensively at practice, and we, we got to come up with something and get that rhythm offensively at practice and uh, start playing a little bit more. Uh, I shouldn't say confidence. I, honestly, I thought the first half of the game, offense came out and had that confidence. It's just a drop here, a, a misread there, or a sack here. And again, when you're playing a great football team, they're going to capitalize. McNeese won't have much time to kind of get back on the track because boom, they got an opponent right up on Saturday. They'll be traveling to Houston to take on Rice. Rice, by the way, the Owls were absolutely shellacked by the University of Southern California this weekend in their opener. So we'll see. We'll see how much improvement McNeese can make from week one to week two. Uh, they went toe-to-toe -to -toe with the team that played for the national championship a year ago for the FCS this year. The next week, they're taking on a team that's been down for a better part of a decade. 
one of the worst teams in the FBS. We'll see how much better McNeese can play over in Houston this coming Saturday. Need to get an update on the poll question of the day and get to some of your comments here. And you know what? I've been doing all the talking here. You know, it's time for the producer extraordinaire to put the spotlight on her. Miss Hannah, five names. What are the folks telling us with their votes on our poll question of the day? And what are some of the comments they're leaving on Twitter and Facebook? All right, so our poll question was, what was the most disappointing thing from LSU's loss to FSU? Uh, Leading the vote right now is 53% for all of the above, followed by special teams at 33%, and then the offensive line at 15% was still zero for the running game. Hart on Twitter says, the most disappointing thing to me personally about the loss is the fan base's reaction. People ready to fire Brian Kelly after one game to sending threats to players and their families, causing them to deactivate their accounts. It was a sad sight to see. Be better. Ralph is fired. Fire on this Labor Day from Hart. Ralph Bergeron says, I agree all of the above. I also add the inability of the defense to get off the field, allowing numerous third down conversions. Of course, if we had forced more punts, there would probably be more muffs. Lack of coaching adjustments were concerning. Garrett follows it with all the above and a lifeless team and coach for most of the game. And Ralph came back again and says, meanwhile, on a beach in Destin, Florida this morning and shows a picture of uh, Ed Ogeron in his bathing suit. <laughs> oh, Cocho, Cocho, Cocho. Good stuff there. Good stuff. Thanks to everyone who's left comments on the poll question of the day. Shout out to the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah. Five names by keeping those votes coming, keeping a tab on them. We'll give you the final results before we sign off on this special Labor Day edition of RP3 and Company as we broadcast live from New Orleans. Coming up next, speaking of the Big Easy, it'll be time for the Big Easy Blitz. Logan Grafeo will join us next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Houdan is ready for Saints talk. They give to Camara. Breaks through. Spins at the two. Into the end zone. Touchdown. Time to talk Saints with the Big Easy Blitz here on RP3 and Company. Oh, we've been talking so much college football, as rightfully so. Look, it's opening weekend here on this Labor Day weekend. Talking a lot about LSU's loss last night. Talked about the Louisiana Raging Cajuns winning on Saturday against Southeastern and McNeese playing hard for at least a couple quarters in the rebuilding era here for Gary Goff in a loss at Montana State. But we've got to talk a little pro. I mean, opening weekend is upon us. Thursday night will kick things off between Buffalo in the Los Angeles Rams, and hey, you know what? Saints going to open it up against their hated rival, the Dirty Birds, to help get us prepared for that here on this Labor Day edition of the Big Easy Blitz is our guy. He does it all, television, radio, blogs, podcasts. Sometimes he even leads a second line down in the French Quarter, Logan Grafea joins us now. Logan, good morning to you, brother. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. I'd feel a lot better if the kicker would have made that kick last night or it wouldn't have got blocked. But other than that, I'm doing fine. <laughs> oh, brother, you got to maintain. It's going to be a long season, man. It's got to get, get, oh, get, yeah. get, 
Got to do the rebuild. Got to do the rebuild, brother. Okay, so let's talk about the black and gold here because a lot of people were caught off guard a little bit by some of the decisions with the 53-man roster. You know, Traquan Smith kept his spot on it um, and some others. Uh, were you surprised at all by the decisions Dennis Allen and his staff made uh, with the 53-man roster? A few of them. A few of them. I mean, I'm still surprised that Traquan Smith made the roster over someone like Kirk Merritt because when you see how good Kirk Merritt did in the preseason and when you go – when I went to the practices, they were just trying so many ways to just get him on the uh, on the field, from running back to receiver to returner, everything possible to get him the ball. And they still kept Traquan Smith over someone like Kirk Mayer or even Dejon Dixon. And something that really puzzled me. And I wasn't too surprised that they cut someone I really liked, Abram Smith, but I was pleasantly surprised that they didn't sign him to the practice squad. There was a, a cup, a few of the, a few of them just was very questionable. I mean, the Traquan Smith, keeping Traquan Smith definitely was the biggest question mark in my opinion. Well, and it goes back to what they value, right? And Traquan, he's really good at run blocking, so they they want to keep him around for that. But here's the thing, you know, we we look at this, but Traquan's going to be the number six wide receiver, right? I mean, because you got Michael Thomas, you got Chris Olave, you have on on top of that. You have Juice, Jarvis Landry, you got Deontay Hardy, you know, and Callaway. So those are your top five. Traquan's going to be number six. How much playing time is he really going to have out there? Now, let me ask you about the running backs because they did not sign Abram Smith, the, uh, the undrafted rookie free agent out of Baylor, who they gave a quarter of a million dollar guaranteed contract to. He had his opportunities during preseason. They didn't think enough of him to, to sign him. He didn't get even on the practice squad. So how do you feel about the depth at running back with Alvin Kamara, Mark Ingram, and Tony Jones Jr.? Uh, I don't feel too bad about it. And it's just we still don't know if Kamara's going to be suspended this year or next year. That's the only thing that worries me. I mean, Mark can carry the, uh, the bulk of the carries if Kamara ever does get suspended. But you also – Need Tony Jones Jr. to look like how he did in preseason and not kind of choke like he did last year because Tony Jones Jr. looked fantastic in preseason last year as well. But when he got into the regular season, he just looked like a totally different player. And you can only hope that with Tony Jones Jr. looking even better in preseason this year that he looks exactly how he does in the regular season. But... As far as depth goes, I, when you have someone like Kamara and then you have Ingram behind him and Tony Jones, I think you're going to do well. But it still somewhat worries me about that lingering suspension. But as far as it goes for right now, I think we'll be okay. Speaking of lingering suspensions, Marcus May is going to be facing one this year for the DWI from about a year and a half ago. We find out last week, Logan, that – he was involved in an incident. We don't want to rush to judgment here, right, because we don't know all the facts of the case, but uh, it is involving a firearm and uh, brandishing one. It, the Saints knew about this on Monday, yet they still traded Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. So what do you make of that decision to trade uh, C.D. Deuce 
to the Eagles of all teams? And how do you think they're going to, you know, uh, deal with his loss? Who's going to have to step up in that role as that kind of hybrid corner safety slot corner, as they like to call him? Well, first of all, I would not have traded CD. I, I get everything in this business. It's, it's a business first before it's a game, and it's sometimes sad to see. From what I heard, it was, there was only $4 million apart. I, they could have at least tried to still haggle with that. The CD was a big part of that defense, and it's really sad that we traded him for basically a pack of Skittles and an Arizona tee. And uh, the one player I think that can absolutely step up is Justin Evans. He He's a former starter. It's just his career's been derailed by injuries when he was in Tampa. But when he was on the field in Tampa, he, he, all he did was make plays. And I think he can fill that spot if need be especially if Marcus May gets suspended, most definitely. Or they, they really sound like they have a lot of faith in Alante Taylor in that spot. That they, It makes you think that they see the C.D. Deuce trade coming when they drafted someone like Alante Taylor. And then as far as the Marcus May whole suspension thing, there's one thing i got to say. The, the one, you can't do that in all par- of all parishes to do that in Jefferson Parish. That's the one parish you don't to do that in. I mean, in Orleans, you can maybe get away with something like that, but there's just no way you can get away with something like that in Jefferson Parish. I, I'm not a juror or an executioner, and uh, innocent until proven guilty, but it's just the whole situation is crazy, and I hope that it resolves itself soon because Marcus May is a good player. Brother, let's wrap it up with this. They're going to open up the season on the road. In Atlanta, taking on a kind of, you know, new-look Dirty Birds with Marcus Mariota at quarterback and a lot of other new pieces. You know, uh, give me the big key matchup in this opening weekend game for the Saints, and uh, do you believe they're going to be able to get the dub? Well, the matchup I want to say is the defense versus Marcus Mariota because Saints have a bad history of allowing mobile and running quarterbacks to just absolutely – just destroy them week in and week out. We saw it with Jalen Hurts many times. We saw it with, throughout the Saints history running quarterbacks have just not been their friend. So if they can contain Marcus Mariota and keep him just from running the ball and just make him pass the ball because he's a decent passer but not the best. So keep him detained. And I think if they can just take care of business on a defensive end and then offense can try to see what they can do. I think they can get the dub. They just have to, of course, contain Mariota first and foremost. Logan, brother, appreciate your time as always, man. Enjoy the rest of your week, my friend. Look, LSU's going to take on Southern on Saturday, but you're going to feel a little bit better then. And and them dirty birds (laughs) are going to go down on Sunday. So you're going to have a better weekend than this weekend, my friend. We'll talk to you soon, bud. Thank you so much for having me on, man. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving new customers a can't-miss offer to celebrate the start of the new football season. Bet just $5 on Thursday's game, and you'll get $200 in free bets instantly. And as an added bonus for Thursday, everyone can experience the thrill of DraftKings' early win promotion. It's simple. Bet on Buffalo or L.A. to win this Thursday, and if your team leads by seven at any point during the game, you get paid instantly. Even if your team loses, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app today and use code 1037GAME 
to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on Thursday night football. That's code 1037GAME, only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 years of age to play, physically present in Louisiana. Deposit and wagering restrictions do apply. Eligibility and terms at DraftKings.com slash football terms. We got to take a timeout when we return here on RP3 and Company. We'll finalize the poll question of the day and get you set up for Kevin Foote and footnotes. That's next here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, you know, we haven't had an opportunity to talk about the Houston Astros. They continue to play at a great pace. They continue to be the best team in the American League as the Yankees continue their post-All-Star break tumble. Haven't had a chance to really deep dive in. Jose Akiti was great last night. Jose Altuve is a legend, as we know, legendary performer, one of the greatest Astros of all time. He stepped up big in last night's victory. And look, the Astros will play again tonight on Labor Day. They're taking on those Tejas Rangers, their uh, their rivals. First pitch is set for 6-10. So we'll have Astro launch begin at 540 with Robert Ford and Steve Sparks on the call. Then, of course, first pitch between the Rangers and the Strohs will at 610. And, of course, you can listen to that right here on the game. Your home for the Houston Astros in southwest Louisiana. Poll question of the day. Producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah, five names. Can you give us the final results on our poll question of the day before we wrap up today's show, madam? Make sure. There we go. (laughs) I love this mic. It's my favorite. (laughs) <laughs> Update the poll question. What was the most disappointing thing from LSU's loss to FSU? Finishing the vote with a lead win is 51% for all of the above. 33 for special teams. 16 for offensive line. And still zero for the running game. And just a little quick update from the Facebook uh, comments. We have Cody Broussard, all of the above, mainly O-line and special teams. Nick Mesh with his very efficient comment, the coach. Edward Purvis, Jervis, how do you say that? All of the above. David Ackman Jr., O-line, and Steve Flynn, Salty Steve. If you woke up this morning and you are not looking for a new kicker or offensive lineman, your name probably isn't Brian Kelly. <laughs> appreciate all who voted on our poll question of the day. Uh, appreciate all the comments as well and all the votes. By the way, little nugget there. Brian Kelly becomes the first LSU head coach to lose his debut against an unranked team. First LSU head football coach to lose his debut against an unranked team since Curly Holman. Just a little nugget of info there for you. Want to take a moment to thank our guest, Jeff Palermo, of course, from Tiger Rag Radio. Also want to thank William Cachatis. He's the author of Lefty and Tim right here, if you're watching us on the simulcast on Stadium Network. Great Read. If you're a baseball guy, you'll enjoy it thoroughly. And of course, Logan Gaffet, our buddy down from New Orleans. Before we go, I got to remind you about Louisiana 811. Look, it's important for you guys to call before you dig. I can't stress this enough. Look, you run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. It doesn't matter if it's for a fence, for a swimming pool, for even some minor landscaping around the house. You run the risk 
by digging only a few inches. So it's important for you to be safe. Call 811 before you dig. Call 811 two days before you dig. They're going to come out. They're going to mark the buried lines for you so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple. It's free of charge. And guess what? It's the law. Louisiana 811 operates. 811 is a public service. And the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to remind you, call before you dig. For the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. She did an excellent job holding it down back there in the game studios. I'm Raymond Parsh III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow live back in the studio there in Upper Lafayette. Today is Labor Day. Enjoy your day off. Make sure you're safe out there. Make sure you're kind to one another. Kevin Foote in footnotes is up next right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.